0: Welcome to Building Sustainability, the podcast that brings you interviews with designers, builders, makers, dreamers and doers, exploring the wide world of sustainability in the built environment by talking to wonderful people who are doing excellent things. I'm your host, Geoffrey Hart. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Building Sustainability. Today, we're talking to Emily Reynolds about clay plastering in Japan. Before we get onto that, you may notice that I'm in quite a big echoey room. Uh, that is because I am on site. Uh, We've just finished laying an earthen floor in a, a big arts center in Bethnal Green, London. Part of the building is a, a big performance space, and I'm in that big, empty uh, hall now. So it's, uh, it's got a lovely echo to it. The space we did an Earth Floor in is a 33 square metres. It's a sort of residential area. And I think what we'll do now for a, a probably a podcast first is we'll take a little listen to the Earth Floor drying. Sounds good, huh? So that is a whole load of fans and heaters blowing, blowing air around the floor. Um, and I am just babysitting the heaters uh, for the day until, until the, uh, the rest of the this crew get back tomorrow. And then, uh, and then the floors can, can dry away. So a couple of things I wanted to say. Uh, firstly, I wanted to say a special shout out to my friend, Jamie. Uh, he not only uh, spent the last three days with me here laying this floor and working tirelessly, he also told me that he likes to listen to this podcast just uh, while he goes to sleep. So, Jamie, if you're listening, uh, just sleep well, mate. Have a lovely dream. Um, I also want to say a big hello to my dad who started listening to the podcast, Peter Hart. Hello. Uh, this week I've heard a couple of my ex heartwind students have been employed in the building world. So that's fantastic. Uh well done, Philippe and Sam. Um really, really makes my heart sing that uh you're you're sort of going on to to do the the work that we trained you in. Um yeah, that's a really wonderful thing. And in fact, it should be said that Jamie was on the first Heartwind build, the very first one. Uh, back four years ago Um, and he has been building ever since and now I'm really pleased that uh, I can employ him. So want to say also Nick Hayes the book is out I'm reading it it's fantastic Uh, if you haven't heard that episode then go back and listen. Nick has also launched his Right to Roam campaign uh, which I will put a link to, yeah, get involved in that. Okay, so on to this episode. It is a two-parter. Uh, it's with Emily Reynolds. Um, Emily was born and partly raised in Tokyo and then moved to the US. Uh, she returned to Japan to teach English and at that point kind of melded her a new love of natural building with the the Japanese culture of, of clay plastering. Um, I spoke to her, she was in a, a very hot and humid house in Japan, and I was in a very grey, wet, rainy day uh, in Bristol. There was a few sort of connection issues, uh, there was a bit of an echo, which sort of means that I tried largely to say as little as I could, uh, because it, was very difficult with a, a big sort of uh echo um but i'm sure you're fine with that yeah there's a few references to uh the conversation with will the last episode um we stray into talking about bamboo as a, a sort of backing coat as the alternative to and daub or a lath um there's some pretty decent trowel talk it's 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 a great episode, and uh I have to say that this these two episodes are they're the very essence of why I started this podcast um, I think with a lot of other guests I have I've always tried to assume a sort of question style which is just as a slightly le- sort of below my my knowledge level um, to to Really, you know, bring bring everyone into the the conversation. But on this one, that was out the window. I was just asking the questions I wanted to know the answers to, and I feel like I really thoroughly learned a lot. Um, so I hope you do too. It does get pretty geeky. Uh, I think it's, I mean, it's it's wonderful. We ended up talking for two and a half hours, and really could have talked more. Um, I'll be back at the end. Just to say a few more words, um, but
1: otherwise, enjoy the episode. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role.
3: I got really, really fortunate when I was first when I first started searching for this craft um, was kind of around 2003. Um, That was when I first realized that it exists. I grew up Mm -hmm. in Japan, but I never realized, even though um, I guess around 1999 is when I fell in love with earth plasters. Uh, and started realizing there's something called natural building out there. And I was like, ooh, I like this. You know, I started learning about permaculture, but the building side really attracted me somehow. And, um, you know, learning more and more about it as I moved around the U.S., uh, I was born and raised partially in Tokyo. And okay. so my, in my first year of my life and then uh, the years six through nine, and then my last two years of high school were in Tokyo and so you know I thought I knew something about Japan and I kind of spoke the language so I was like you know maybe I'll I'll go back and teach English and just like check out the land of my birth you know after I uh, graduated uni so I got posted by a, a government program to Help teach English at a high school in kind of like a, a remote area of Japan called Toyama. And just walking the the streets there, I saw stuff that looked like bamboo underneath parts of homes, home walls that had sort of like knocked off. And I'm like, Is that bamboo. And, and I get closer and I'm like, the stuff on the bamboo, is that earth? Like, what is this? You know, I just, (laughs) what am I looking at here? Because the homes don't look like they're made of earth. Mm -hmm. They are. And then that's when I started learning, well, so are the temples and so are the shrines. So are the castles. And so are like all the things that I saw growing up as a kid, but I just never recognized that what lied underneath these surfaces and what made up these surfaces was natural materials, even though I had already decided I want to, you know, kind of go the route of natural building. And that that really came to the forefront for, for me as I was making my application to teach English in Japan. So it was like all happening at the same time. And then I got here and I was like, what?
0: <laughs> <laughs> what a happy uh, thing to, to yeah, have really. your, your world sort of smash into each other like that.
3: That but, is a great way to put it. Yeah, it was a big smash. And, <laughs> and I kind of, I stayed teaching English for three years but the during that time whenever I had vacation days like they have national holidays but laborers don't get national holidays they still work when everybody else like government workers are on vacation like they're still at the job site so I would because I speak the language I was able to express my interest to people and um, from various directions people invited me to uh, meet plasterers and I like within the first five minutes of meeting them, I'd be like, "What? What? I need to take you back to America like right now." Like, everybody wants. They, I remember at the Natural Builder Guild meetings in Colorado, um, and this would also be around like you know two thousand one, two thousand two. Mm-hmm. Um, almost at every single meeting, there was some question about how do we make a plaster that doesn't crack, and some question about how do we. You know, marry the the um, the place where earth and wood meets. Like, how do we keep that from separating? And over here, it's like, oh well, yeah, we've known that for hundreds of years. Like, they just—it's <laughs> not even an issue. And I'm like, oh wow, you know, what what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And uh, and when I finally decided I was gonna let English teaching go, um. It just so happened that my mother was working in Tokyo, and so I stayed at her place while I searched for somebody who would teach me just in Earth. Because in Toyama, I learned that um, there were opportunities. No, um, I did have an opportunity to join a kind of semi semi public project restoring an old farm kind of uh, estate uh, mm-hmm. and that's actually um, one of the buildings that's featured in my first book in the 2009 book Japan's Clay Wall so that that thick walled storehouse it's that that building that was one of my first exposures to this craft like real exposures where I like got to hold the trowel got to hold the hawk got to be told like how do I do this and was told yeah sure come back tomorrow I'm like, Ooh. But, everybody on that job site the people that were leading it were in there were retired already so they're in their 70s at best you know Mm -hmm. like some some older um and the younger ones that were there were like yeah this is the first time i've ever touched earth or and it's probably going to be my last you know and they had a plaster guild uh school in that prefecture also but they didn't teach with Earth at all like that was just kind of like a special exposure the students got just that year because there was the prefectural project happening um that right. that estate got donated to the prefecture and that's why the guild became a part of that project and the only ones with the the skills and the know-how to to do the project were the old folks and it was fun watching them and it was so fun working with them and they were so excited to have somebody excited about it and that was you know probably younger and in female and foreign. It was like a bonus for them on top of that. So I, I got a, I got really um, a nice welcoming from them, but learned quickly that, you know, this isn't going to happen again in this prefecture. And, you know, there was, a, um, at the time there was a, a magazine, sort of a, a monthly that focused on sakan work, focused on plaster work, and, and mainly on using earth. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, from, you know, reading that magazine called Sakan Kyoshitsu, um, it became really apparent that, like, yes, there's a project here in, in the prefecture over yonder, and there's another project in the prefecture over yonder there, but hardly anybody was, like, continuously working with just earth. And and I really, really wanted to um, you know, I didn't wanna I didn't wanna put time into anything else. I wanted all of my focus to go towards learning the earthen skill here. So uh, it took about a year to find out that the place to do that was the Kyoto Plasters Guild. That you know, this is sort of the the hub of all things traditional in Japan. And they're very, very proud of the fact that the tea house comes from Kyoto. And the tea house, the, the only way, the real way to build the tea houses is, is with the you know, the bamboo and the, the mud walls. So um
0: So you when you say bamboo and mud walls. Mm, uh, it's it's kind of a, a wattle and daub type.
3: I believe so. And it, like here's the other. Yeah. Up- this is part of like I have so many questions about the world. Like wattle and daub, is it always woven?
0: Is it? Uh, yes. Yeah. Well, sort of traditionally, certainly in the UK. Uh, yeah, upright stakes of of sort of you know roundwood often, mm-hmm. uh, and then woven with smaller or split. Uh,
3: okay, and you take it from one side and then exactly, and, out, yeah. and it just, it holds itself. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, so that's a little bit different than what they do in Japan. So here, um, they've got... So let's say you have your typical, you know, kind of Japanese-sized wall section, if, if you can imagine what I mean by that. Like, the aesthetics that they have here, you see, like, the exposed wood, and then you see, like, the infill is, is wall, right? So mm-hmm. um, what happens there is you have your post and you have your beams and your, your footer and you'll have a a little bit thicker piece of bamboo, like a wider piece of bamboo. That's, that's called etsuri. And it's used as sort of like the big bone, like the, the bone of, of the, the wall. And then those there's these little holes that they notch into the posts and Mm -hmm. you cut the bamboo piece the thick the little bit wider bamboo piece um, about a centimeter shy of the length of how do I say this so there's the the space between the posts but then you've cut these notches into the posts and so you want the bamboo to have a little bit of wiggle, but you want them—you want that bamboo to fit into those slots, into those holes, and stay.
1: But you mm-hmm. want Call that you.
3: little bit of wiggle because if you don't have that little bit of wiggle, imagine when a, um, a earthquake comes, then it's too tight that that fit if it's too tight it's gonna it will damage everything but if you have a little bit of wiggle in there then it has some give and the wall and the bamboo pieces itself are going to take the shock for the building so it's it's all there's meaning in all these little details that have to be in there Um, so you want that little bit of wiggle room and let's say height wise you have you know four to six depending on how how high this may be like a foot, maybe more than a foot a foot and a half uh, between each of those, uh, both um, you know horizontally and vertically. And then you use a little bit you know thinner, not so wide bamboo, and you lash that onto these pieces with the inside of the bamboo facing in. They want the outside of the bamboo facing out. And you lash that with rice straw rope. There can be rice straw rope. That's, you know, that's what's the most abundant in the Japanese culture. So it's easiest to get a hold of. But you could also use um hemp rope. It's not, I don't know, maybe that was more common in the past when there were more hemp fields. Um, but then also uh palm fiber, like they'll... Um, weave palm fiber into a a rope is very strong Mm -hmm. Um, so there's that option as well Uh, but most of the time it's it's rice straw rope and so that just gets lashed in a in a pattern um, in choice places like not every single joint that would be too much work Uh, but enough that you can make this framework of bamboo within the larger framework of the post and beams, and yeah so then on top of that you put your the fermented clay is the first uh, mm-hmm. fermented plaster the first one to go on there and and like you were talking about with that one um that's uh it's it was cool to hear um the observation that it is stronger against water. Like that's a universal thing. Like if you, if you ferment, you know, straw into clay, then universally you're going to get this stronger wall. So uh, like more water resistant, um, it, it works. The workability is really amazing. Um, it's really pleasant to to spread. So, there's so many different kind of pluses that you get out of doing that process. And it's the, the first one to go on top of the, the bamboo wall. So you, you plaster one side and you have these claws that come through the hole. And then you sort of knock down those claws that, that come in on the other side. You don't want them to poke out too much, but you do want them to have a little bit of a grip over the bamboo. Uh, but you, you let that dry and then, after it's dry, you go back to the unplastered side and wet, wet the surface, and then plaster over what you have there to make the core of the wall. And then you do your, uh, your central layer, and then your finish, your brown coat, and your finish.
0: Yeah. yeah. Oh, fantastic! It's um, it uh, it's interesting to hear the you were calling them claws. Uh, when we do a, a lath and plaster wall, uh, certainly in my my experience, we call them tongues, the the bits that push through
3: oh, uh, huh. and kind of grip on. Tongues and claws.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I've I've just also noticed that. Uh, the tree surgeons have just come in and are uh, chopping down trees. Oh,
3: is that what those big, uh, big bees are? I've been
0: uh, yes. Big, is that can you faintly, hear that? Sorry just about very
3: that. faintly. No, it's like it could have been somebody like passing on a motorcycle. I couldn't tell.
0: Okay, yeah. Well, now the chip has started up as well. So, uh, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> great. Uh,
3: I don't think it's picking up that much. I can't hear it so much, but I'm also partially okay. deaf.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well. Uh, we, uh, well, I'll, I'll just be using your side of the order. We'll be back after a quick break.
1: Hey there. I'm Mick from the Mick and Pat show. That's right. And I'm Pat looking for a podcast. That's like catching up with the old friends. Well, you're in luck. We're here to bring you
0: weekly doses of lifestyle commentary, discuss culture and politics, and top it off
1: with the occasional beer and film reviews. But it's not just about us. We're a community. Our listeners are our kin, and we let you all have a say in what we discuss. So saddle up and join the conversation
0: at the Mick and Pat show. You can check out our website or find us wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, no,
3: please use yours. I like the tongue bit. It's, it's good, it's good cultural exchange there. Our claws <laughs> on your tongue.
0: Um, so uh, I distracted you somewhat there with a, a question on on your backing. Uh And I want to definitely return to that and especially fermenting. But uh, you were talking about moving to or finding Kyoto.
3: Finding Kyoto. Yeah, finding Kyoto. And so at the time, the school had a six month program. So I jumped in on that. And so I don't know how much I need to talk about visa stuff, but it is like a reality of being in Japan and being a foreigner like there is no visa to study this craft as of this moment. Um, maybe that will change in the future, but uh, we can only hope. Um, you know, at the time, I, I had enough money to support myself for six months of living in Japan because you know, I, didn't, um, I didn't spend a lot of the money that I earned teaching English. And so I was able to do that. Um, that's the kind of visa that I had. It's called a cultural studies visa. And part of the condition is that you don't work. You, you're not allowed to earn wages. Um, so I, I was able to manage with that, uh, lived in a share house. So I didn't have to spend too much on rent, um, and went to the school for six months. And, and it was fabulous. It's just every day, every day, except for one day a week, um, nine to five, Plaster on, plaster off, plaster on, plaster off. And we just had, we just had like a, a ply board wall, a series of ply board walls that we would, the way to prep them is um, you just garito, garito. You just smear, like just quickly smear uh, the plaster onto the board and then you leave it, you let it dry. And then, after that, you can come back and you can start practicing, like put on your first layer. And then once that's dry, you can put on your second layer. But so while that's drying, you go over to the next panel and you practice there. And uh, so we had, there was through f- four of us in that class. There weren't that many of us, but um, it was enough to, to fill the class for that. And then there was also the, um, the students that came for two years and their pattern was to come on Mondays and Tuesdays and on Mondays they would do like real plaster training and on Tuesdays we would all get together and do coursework like sit down in a class learn about history learn about design learn about you know a variety of things um fantastic it's an incredible program it's an incredible program and sadly sadly there's no more six-month program because there just weren't enough students to keep it going and the two-year program is still going uh so it's designed for people who are already employed at a sakhan shop and you know the they'll start fresh in the company and the company will send them to the school so that they can like level their skills a little bit faster and, and learn something and then um, come and apply them on the job site. Um, I'll get back to that in a little bit. Cause it's the, uh, kind of a sad story there too, but um, it, it's making it. It's, it's barely like it's sometimes every year they're kind of like, are we going to get enough students to, To keep this program but luckily they're making it right now still so that program is still in place Um, so i was there for six months then and this man was never my my teacher there i had the kind of the principal of the school with our teacher in my six-month course but there was another teacher that would come in every every so often and every time I met him in the hallway, he would give me some kind of advice that I was like, that's so super cool. Um, one of them was, if you imagine in your mind, a gnaw dancer, and noise is like super slow, like really like deliberate movements. He's like, then you can make a beautiful wall. I was like, ooh, uh-huh. what is that? Oh, you're talking my language, you know? You're talking dancing and plastering. I'm like, yes. Um, so that's this guy. And he always had this enormous smile. And it was wonderful, wonderful. His name is Asahara Sese at that time. But he ended, I ended up asking him after the course was over. And I realized, uh, I don't know anything about the base. like Like, I just, I did the brown coat over and over and over again. And so I can, you know, make that look somewhat pretty. But I don't know anything about what the brown coat's supposed to go on top of. And without that foundational knowledge, like, what am I going to take back? Like, I don't know. I don't know what I can offer after all of this study, you know. Like, what? So I, I needed to learn more. And a friend was like, hey, Emily, why don't you do an apprenticeship? And I was like, oh, I think I know somebody I can ask. And I asked and he said yes. But then the country said no, there's no visa. Oh. I know. Super heartache. So that's when I went back to the US and uh, started really wanting to share because whenever I would start talking about my experience, you'll be like, oh, yeah, Italians have really cool plasters, too. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I haven't studied them. I'm sure they do. But that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I realized like, oh, people just don't know. And also, I always got asked. Um, oh, yeah. Or that people would say like, yeah, I have a Japanese trowel. And I'd be like, which one? And they'd look at me like I was stupid. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, we're not we're not talking about the same thing somehow. Like something something's different here. And and I realized that the only trial that people associated with you know Japan like Japanese trial these like skinny uh, stainless steel ones. And mm-hmm. and I was like, no, that's that's not a Japanese trial, man. <laughs>
0: Oh really is, that, is. So that was my, my first Japanese trowel was, was one of those. Yeah. I mean, and yeah. And I, you know, cherished it. Uh, and then just recently I've, I've uh, been gifted some, uh, some different ones, which are more, I think more authentic, uh, the kind of very rigid, um, much smaller trowels.
3: Smaller. Are they iron? Do they rust? Uh, yes. They do rust. Okay. Yes. So they have some iron. Um So the kind of the workhorse for earth plastering is these iron trowels. And they're the jigane, the J-I-G-A-N-E trowels. And then um, there's also a blend after that. It's called hanyaki, H-A-N-Y-A-K-I. So both of those are kind of used as workhorse trowels. And so the difference between those and the stainless ones, the stainless ones are not meant for application the stainless ones mm-hmm. are meant for after application. Um, or if you're just using some kind of... Uh, here, they're used a lot for synthetic application. So something that's been uh, created okay. in a factory, and like add water and stir, it's very thin. You're putting it on very thin over board, usually, over some kind of board. But if you're wanting to use that fermented plaster, that's heavy, heavy stuff. If you try to put that on with a thin a stainless trowel first you're going to bend your trowel which is such a bummer because it's expensive and um and second you're not gonna move the plaster you're gonna plop it on there and your your skinny trowel is gonna slide over it and you're, you're just gonna mm-hmm. kind of put this lump on the wall versus the jigane or the hanyaki trowel it's got it's Porous and it's stiff and it's got this grabbable um, quality to it where it it carries this earth over the distance that you want to carry it. So, uh, yeah, that, I mean, to me, the reality is that there's probably 10,000 different types of Japanese trowels because they require each wall requires a different trial practically um each layer that you apply requires a different blend of of steel or iron or you know different metals and I don't even know what they are <laughs> mm-hmm. um Kyle Holstein probably knows those things a lot better than I do um, but those Yeah, and all the different shapes and all the different sizes and all the different mix and and models of of metal. Um, Yeah, there's a huge variety of trowels. And so like when I ask somebody which one, then, you know, if they know the answer, then that's fun. And if they don't, then it's like, okay, cool. Like, you've got a whole world ahead of you. This is really fun.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's it's quite bewildering uh looking at japanese plastering uh tools websites you know there's so many different trowels. how can you possibly know which one to go for there's no little explanation of you know, use this one here yeah. or with this material
3: no because the, the makers don't know either you know they just know that these get used and that if they make them they'll buy people will buy them and uh i think it used I don't know how common it used to be. Um, I guess once you had sort of come into your own, you call it like become a journeyman when you become a master of um, of the craft, then you start to understand what quality you need in the next trowel you want to use. And so you're telling the blacksmith, make me this. And the blacksmith makes it. Most blacksmiths don't know how to use the tools that they're making? They just know how.
0: To. Yeah, they're not blasters. They're blacksmiths. Exactly.
3: That's why. Um, oh man, names blank out on me, and I have his. Ah, the guy in um, Miki.
0: <laughs>
3: Sugita-san, Sugita. The Sugita Trials are. Uh, really fun because he actually did the two-year course. Like he commuted two hours each way for two years on Mondays and Tuesdays to take the course in Kyoto because I think it was actually my master, um, uh, Asahara, that suggested to him, like, how about you take the course and find out what these tools are doing so that when plasterers, you know, ask you for an order, you know you know what they're going for. And that that yeah. seemed to have really helped Sugita-san. He's, he's generational. His father, I'm, I think, has won some accolades about being like a, a living treasure. Um, so super skilled trial makers. He, he's at least second generation, maybe more. Yeah. Um, so uh, he's a fun one to to get trowels from because there's that connection. He understands, but, uh, you know, the way he makes trowels, um, is a little bit thicker. They're a little bit heavier than, um, Yamanishi who makes trowels in a different part of Japan. And, you know, each, each blacksmith has their own pattern of making them either wider or narrower or thicker or thinner. And depending on where the trowel starts in its shape, um, That'll first determine how you use it to begin with, but those thicker trowels they actually become better to they they become more usable as you use them. Uh, that edge, that corner, is it's quite sharp when you get a newly
1: mm.
3: yeah newly blacksmith trowel, but as you use it, those edges wear down, especially over. Well, if you're using a cement plaster or you're using a a heavy earth plaster, they'll wear down much faster. Um, And it's not really something that you can do yourself with like a grinder. It doesn't really work that way. uh, Because your motions, your movements are going to change the shape of that trowel. And that's what's going to work best for you over time. So there's... There's even some uh, some plasterers who really don't like lending out their trowels because uh-huh. they feel like it's going to change how they can use their own trowel because somebody else, like, used it at a different angle or, or something.
0: Yeah. Oh, uh, it's sort of like, uh, I don't know, wearing in shoes or yeah. something like yeah. that. Yeah. It's sculpted by the way you you move.
3: Exactly. Yes, yes, yes.
0: Ah, Yes. I feel a little ashamed that the the Japanese trowels I I have I don't first of all don't know who made them, and I <laughs> secondly don't know uh, what they uh, what they're made of. I know so one of them is very very dark, uh, almost sort of black. Okay. Uh, very rigid. Again, it will rust. And then the other one, which I had assumed was stainless, but I don't think it is, is a, a much shinier uh, sort of silver. Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, it's also stiff.
0: Yes, okay. very stiff. Yeah, I yeah, my my original uh sort of uh what I would now call a polishing trowel or a burnishing trowel uh that first mm-hmm. Japanese one I got which was very thin and and stainless. Uh yeah, that one's been retired after <laughs> suffering suffering a couple of drops. Oh,
3: yes, drops are very sad. Um mm-hmm. that's the other thing that's cool about being here is that like those drops some people know how to undo them especially the older folks like they they've they've been through their own you know and they they've been taught by their elders you know when they were younger about how to how to undo those jobs and you know, shape things down yeah. and grind things down at the edge and um yeah that's also an art it definitely made things worse by trying to fix them before <laughs> too. So, uh, there's a lot, a lot to learn and a lot to get like really like precise about. Um, but I wanted to mention, uh, one thing that impressed me about being in the U S and being around all these folks that really loved their stainless thin Japanese trowels. Uh, and, you know, I, I'd go to these places that use them and and they'd have this like curve. Like they'd they'd be totally curved and and yet people love them and use them. And I'm like, wow, you know, this is I've never seen such a thing. And then and then when it was time when like because they had bent it so much, sometimes that um that rounded backbone of the the, of the Mm -hmm. trowel or that 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 piece that kind of stiffens it in the center it would
0: uh like a keel isn't
3: it what you call it a keel
0: i think i think so like a boat keel
3: okay yeah
0: is that what we call it I'm not we'll sure call
3: now. it that. I'm sure people will know what we're talking about. Let's sure. let's say it's a keel. So it, it comes apart from that keel. And then people were using that as a tool because it's still on the handle. And so doing like pointing jobs and like getting into small places, I'm like, that's freaking brilliant. <laughs> I love it. It's this ingenuity. I'm like, that would never happen in Japan. But because people don't know, because people aren't like stuck in this box of this is how you have to do it. You know, it, it mm. allows for this imagination to take its course from there. And I was like, "Oh, this is this is cool." I I really appreciated uh, that side of of getting creative with it.
0: Do you do you feel like uh, the Japanese way is very much more rigid? Uh, like, you know, this is this is done with this at this time. Yeah, know, unless like the playfulness isn't encouraged, maybe.
3: No, unless you're extremely famous. If you're extremely famous, right, then you can get away with it. Yeah. Nobody knows your name. Like, don't even try. Uh, although, um, there's one guy who's about our age, who I feature strongly in the uh, the newer book that I wrote, um, Furukawa-san. And he's, he's very unique. Like, he's self-directed. And he has mastered... The tradition of his area and keeps studying around the country from the masters that he really admires. And on top of that, he keeps pushing the limits of what he can create in like varieties of shapes, varieties of finishes. But he's very dedicated and committed to using natural materials. And that's so super unusual. Oh, because I was saying, uh, I think towards our, our earlier conversation, that um, that's, it's not common. Like the, the reason that people do this craft is not because it's natural materials. There are some of those people around the country. I haven't met them because I'm in Kyoto. And in Kyoto, it's more mm-hmm. about tradition. So I can't say like 100% it's all about tradition. but it's, it's And maybe that the idea that we need to be using natural materials is kind of coming back in some corners of professional you know Japanese building offerings um, but for here it's just kind of a job
0: you know <laughs> ah, that's in- interesting uh, so in the in the UK certainly there's a very there's a big divide between heritage builders and natural builders or the eco builders ah. and yeah you know, even though essentially we're doing the same thing with the same materials uh generally they get paid a lot more in heritage uh and, we, mm-hmm. and we're we're just trying to save the world and you know make uh make people healthy yeah uh and so yeah and
3: do the two it's, ever it's an interesting
0: parallel yes i think so i like to think that i try and sort of straddle that that line but um yeah it's I guess, uh, yeah, there's a slight, maybe a slight sort of snobbery between the two.
3: Uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. So I would say. Because <laughs> it, 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 uh, it spans the um, academic versus practitioner realm too, doesn't it?
0: Yes, very much so.
3: When wow how much would we all benefit if we made friends with each other and work together like there's so much mm-hmm. knowledge like um academics really have like go into the nitty-gritties like where did this lime come from and when was it harvested and you know all these little things like what was the what was the uh condition of this lime while it was a plaster before it became you know while they, like they go into it and find out all these little details that are so useful to the practitioner if if we could get our hands on that information but it's always in this language that's like i don't know how to read your weird scientific paper like, uh, yeah, like i'm gonna go the other way like play
0: with my mud um yeah i know, i know how it feels and i can't i haven't got the big words to describe that but i know how it feels yeah
3: and they won't know how it feels and they're too busy most of the time with their writing their papers and, and getting the information to write their papers to realize that that feeling is the only way to make their research come to life. And even if they do realize it, like somehow it's really hard for the two, you know, professions to meet. You know, the, the practitioner and the and this the studier. So. That's another place to kind of play around with and and bring together together with the, the heritage yeah. and the natural builders. There's a lot that we can share with each other and and elevate from there. De-
0: definitely. Um, so you you mentioned that uh, that you know earth and traditional materials isn't uh, all that sort of common in place. What what materials are our plasterers using as you know out of the, the earth realm?
3: Um well so the the company I'm with now um uses a lot of baseboard. Like that's that the the carpenters use baseboard and we just plaster over the baseboard and in order to get to the earthen finish like there will be an earthen finish but first we plaster this synthetic thing and then that synthetic thing and then once we have that surface down you know, where the the baseboard won't steal our moisture, then we can plaster with earth.
0: Okay. So the uh, the earth top coat is still coat. still used sort of conventionally. Uh, yeah.
3: Yeah. And, you know, it's okay. a bit eye-opening to... I mean, I, I'm still very interested in learning how is that done because, you know, at first I was very much like, must be all entirely earthen. Like I'm very much... Saw no point in learning anything else, because why? You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, but, so, part of my uh, my uh, motivation to learn all of this is to make it available to everybody. And the reality is that most people already live in something like I'm living right now, which is, you know, a concrete apartment. And... You know, there's paint on these walls, but it could be, it could be earth, you know, and it, or it could be lime. There's, or, you know, in Japan, there's a lot of um, wallpaper that gets used, but that could be earth or that could be lime. It's just faster and cheaper and industrial and stinky and toxic. And, like, you know, why would you want that? And, even if the building is made of concrete or, or made of drywall or, you know, whatever whatever other industrial like, base baseboards are out there, um, it, I, don't know, I just have this sense that if the finish coat is natural, then there's something that happens to the psyche there. Of course, the thicker the better, but if people understand that even this thin coat can bring them a little bit more comfort when they come home and a little bit deeper relaxation and rest when they come home they'll start to appreciate that oh I could make this thicker I can make mm-hmm. the whole freaking wall Earth, that would if, be
0: great if a little bit feels this good then what's what's more
3: What's more yeah exactly yeah. exactly kind of hook them that way and so <laughs> You know making things accessible, making the the understanding that this material exists um, known to the masses that's part of the vision that I have uh, for for people because it, it it's just like a tiny percentage of folks that that understand the goodness of it and even consider it like people hear like mud plaster or like plastering with earth, and they're like, "I don't know what that is, and they don't care, you know um It's not familiar enough. And, you know, homes that have this kind of soft undulation happening. Some people don't even see those as possible homes for themselves. I'd say a majority of people like they need to see something with sharp corners. Otherwise, it doesn't work for them. And so that's what I find so spectacular about the Japanese plastering is that from centuries ago, they've had these sharp corners and like drywall flat walls and and that's just that's just how they do their earthen walls that's why i didn't recognize it until mm-hmm. i saw the bamboo
0: underneath the plopped off earth. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you in uh, in the uk i'd say that earth has a bit of a stigma to it it may be it's sort of seen as a, a peasant technology yeah. uh, you know we used to used to build our mud homes now we're better than that um, how
3: long ago like which generation would that have been commonplace
0: uh so i mean wattle and Dorb was being built i guess this is where my heritage knowledge breaks down but sort of a few hundred years ago we were still doing sort of wattle and Dorb. Uh, you know uh, and then before that it was yeah more more common um
3: yeah so but there's been a number of generations in between that like time when it was really common and the time where it's now yeah it seems like there's that's enough time for people to be like oh there's something there's something there like because you know i mean how how recently were peasants around yeah <laughs> are they still peasants am i am i being like totally I,
0: wishy-washy no I, I don't know maybe that's not a not a uh a term that translates well i guess just yeah it's okay. uh, people it's just the sort of people's technology uh people. anyone could go and dig up a bit of uh-huh. a bit of mud and slap it on a wall yeah. uh rather than it being maybe you know the the lords of the the manor uh-huh. you know they wouldn't be they wouldn't be uh, sort of scrabbling around that. in the mud. They'd, yeah. they'd be shipping in the finest Italian plaster. Or... Oh,
3: yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, but that that resonates around the world, doesn't it? Like this stigma against, against Earth. And so that's why you get, um, like a friend is in Mexico now and she's like, I am sweltering and spending so much money on my air conditioning in this stupid concrete block home, I can't wait till I can build my own place. I'm definitely making it out of earth. I'm like, yes, you are definitely making it out of earth. Like, Alex, call me when you're ready. I'll hook you up with the people that can help you. Like you're definitely making it out of earth and you, you probably won't even need air conditioning. But, you know, the house that she's in, all the house that, you know, poorer people around the country are in, you know, they think that it's, the better way to live is in these concrete block homes and they are freezing in the winter and sweltering in the summer. And that's no way to live. That's no way to stay comfortable when they had vernacular architecture that helped them get comfortably through the seasons. And you see that in every corner of the world, Japan too, um, to an extent, Japanese used to be a lot better about, tolerating heat and cold um okay particularly as, as people as a people yeah. Uh, yeah like in the winter time you have one room in the house that you keep warm-ish and you put on more clothes <laughs> then you make it through the winter but now <laughs> people want you know airtight they want you know there still really isn't like central heating is not in every building by any means. Um, newer houses that have zero value after 20 years, like there's a house being built across the way from me and the materials that are being used, like it has zero value after 20 years, literally it's rubbish. Um, and that's what, and what we'll materials happen. are they using? They're using, so it's a stick frame, and then uh, drywall and cement, you know, mesh for the walls. And then uh, I'm pretty sure the final finish on the outside is going to be some kind of vinyl something. And the inside is going to be some kind of vinyl wallpaper. Like that's mm. very likely how it's going to go. And it, it, I left, the place got torn down. Before I left, as I was leaving, it was getting torn down. So that was late February. And right now, I'd say they're about a month away from finishing. So other places go up in three months. So at least they're taking a little bit of time on this one or whatever. (laughs) uh, That's really typical. And that's that's how people build now. And um, yeah, I guess, you know, they're they're happy because they have air conditioning but the air quality is horrible it's just nasty yeah. um and people get sick That's a reality like house, that's something that it's sick house uh like the japanese way of saying sick house syndrome and um yeah you know i never really hear that terminology in the u.s do you have it in england
0: Yes, we definitely do, yeah. We
3: do, okay. And it's it's a it's a modern condition. It's an industrial illness. And you know, I think especially the older plasterers, they know that. They saw it from the very beginning that once the materials changed, these headaches and these nauseas and these other issues that never used to be around started to appear and occur at a massive scale and so they had to put a name on it and there wasn't a, there wasn't the need for a name like that in the past and, and they know why it's the materials that are being used it's the design so um yeah it's but the traditional Japanese wall is very thin and so there's no place for insulation and that's okay. the thing that people want. They want insulation, aha, which is a very smart thing to want. You know, it's very understandable. So the trick becomes: how do you have the Japanese aesthetic that people want here, um, together with insulation?
0: Mm-hmm. Are there people doing that in a, you know, in sort of the way that we would call, you know, natural building? Uh... You know, looking for natural insulations, natural finishes? Is that a thing that's happening yes. or is that not?
3: I don't know the answer to that question. So here's the part where um, I know there's people out and about who are dedicated to making healthier homes and they're using the, the knowledge of their ancestors to help make that happen, but they're also... There's kind of two schools of thought. One is just wear more clothes in the winter. And the other is, um, you know, let's modernize a little bit. Let's give and take. And uh, yeah, I've I've seen some really successful um, renovations of the traditional house still using only natural materials, but then using, for example, bigger windows. And then, kind of coordinating off what parts of the house they use in different parts of the seasons, um, and mostly, uh, you know, the, the the miserable season in Japan is the summer, and so the design is to minimize the miserableness uh-huh. in the summer. So you want good, you know, good wind flow.
0: So example, miserable because or... it's too hot. Is that because it's too hot? Yeah because it's too hot
3: yeah um and in the winter you can put on more
0: clothes (laughs) (laughs) yeah
3: yeah it's kind of finding finding the right balance they've totally forgotten they used to have um the common knowledge of directionality like which way you put your house will determine how comfortable it is for the rest of its existence for your human body um now they don't have that you know very 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 few people uh design with that in mind Mm -hmm. and i think that might be true everywhere i think that that's just a an illness that we're all experiencing right now and we've got to get out of
0: it yeah i totally agree and yeah it's it's certainly the places i've been and the people i've spoken to yeah that's uh sort of convenience has taken over from from health and you uh intelligent uh, placement of buildings and... yeah
3: yeah it's such a shame opportunity lost
0: <laughs> we'll bring it back
3: <laughs> yes Oh, no, it's totally like a, a architectural revolution and when i talk to people about what i do i always like bring that bring that into it yeah we have to have an architectural revolution it's just it's not it's not negotiable <laughs>
0: We demand it.
3: We demand it. Yeah. Yeah. Our future generations demand it. <laughs>
0: um, so I wanted to talk to you or ask you, I have a funny feeling. Well, I'm not sure. I suspect I might have met Kyle, uh, who you mentioned earlier, at the International yeah. Straw Bale Convention in Colorado. Did I meet you then as well?
1: <gasps>
0: you were there? Yeah. yeah.
3: Oh, i was kind of quiet during
0: that time oh that's that's so wonderful i i was sort of looking back and thinking like oh you know my my sort of first bit of knowledge about japanese plastering came from then uh oh no
3: kidding yeah oh great yeah and no, kyle did a great job there he really like brought in the whole the presentation and the hands-on so yeah that's cool to hear that that was your first exposure how yeah. amazing
0: yeah um, but one one thing that really stuck with me then, and I, I'm sort of slightly hesitant to say this because I I fear I might have switched switched the the memory slightly in my head, but uh, yeah. the the training process of sort of laying on those sort of meter square panels, uh,
3: yeah,
0: a bit of knowledge hit my head that uh, the the sort of order of preference was uh, was it clean, quick, and then smooth. As in it's most important when you're learning that you do it do everything cleanly and that you're you know, you're not uh, not dropping things and your tools are clean. And then well it's done, yeah. you know, speed and then the final thing that's sort of most important is the smoothness, which I'd say is completely the opposite way around uh here, certainly. It's you know, get it what on is it get, it, get it on as quick as you can.
3: Just get it on. Yeah.
0: Get it on as quick as you can. Get it way. on, get it smooth so... and then like clean up the wreck that you've created afterwards
3: (laughs) (laughs) so uh i had one master in between that i worked with who was like i don't care how long it takes you to do it do it clean right do it it right because whatever habits you develop at the beginning that's what's going to stay with you for the rest of your life and um there is a man that i work with in my current place who is 73 or 4 i would say he is like when i grow up i want to be like him he's so amazing he is so tidy every single movement that he makes is so quick and so clean yeah every single time oh how do you do it you just like like in sort of like this uh you know what would he what would he do <laughs> um yeah uh gosh why am i having such a hard time with names today is it the heat (laughs) (laughs)
0: um
3: yeah he's kind of like my jesus when i think about like if i'm in this if i'm in a spot you know what what would this guy do um and then next to him uh i have another guy i work with i think he might be retired by now um because he was on his way out it's like 76 ish um, he's the oldest on our crew, tiny little crew. So we're going to miss him. But um, he not so tidy. Oh, really? Quick. And his end result looks good enough. But the in-between, and sometimes the end result fails. I don't know if that's because he's older.
0: Mm.
3: If, like as he got older, like he forgot things. Or if it's because from a younger age, He didn't train his habits to be in that perfect way. Like, he trained him in the good enough way. Not the, like, super sharp, super clean depth, Mm -hmm. you know. And so, when he he fails, and he's old, too. Like, there's definitely that. Um, And he feels like he can't retire because there's not many... People that can do what he can do, and that's absolutely true. Um, like the company needs him, so he has that that sense of being needed. Um, but there's definitely a large difference in between the two. I admire how both of them work. I learn from both of them, but it's it's a stark difference between the two. And yeah, like uh, <laughs> I want to be like that guy. <laughs> the clean one um so yeah you know working cleanly developing that habit at the beginning i think is really important and at the same time there's another i mean there's all kinds of schools of thought because the, the idea of like just getting it on there first like learn that movement of like that speed and then you can do anything you know there there's that way of thinking as well so depending on who's training you you're going to hear something different yeah and yeah there, there's value to both ways you know Great. Yeah, but you do need to clean up after yourself
0: <laughs> yes i mean always clean up after yourself i think just i i certainly uh rebecca reed who will and i spoke about quite a lot in uh in the other episode she is my uh yeah you know, what would rebecca do uh she
3: that's right that's
0: right um and she is always clean. She's all, you know, all her movements are very uh, thought out and, and you know, on purpose. And so I always... Y'all made
3: me really want to work
0: with her. Yeah.
3: <laughs> so much. I'm like, I want to meet this woman. I want to work with her.
0: Yeah, she's brilliant. I think you two would get on like a house on fire. But she's she's from that heritage world. So she's crossed over. Oh, um, oh
3: wow. Yeah, you
0: know, did all her training in oh, life yeah so came from a very much a traditional lime plastering background learned from uh-huh. you know very old old sort of masters of lime lime plaster that you know, where they, the knowledge hasn't been forgotten and has uh yeah, been handed straight down so um yeah we'll we'll get you all together it's going to be great <laughs> yes please please please, please. <laughs> she um I was actually talking to her about about that about the training process that I'd heard about from, from yourself and Kyle. Uh, and she, I think she instantly went, Oh, I, I want it. That, that's what I need.
3: Yeah. That's really interesting. I have another friend, um, Angela Francis. Who... I know Angela. You know, Angela.
0: I was, uh, so I was looking on your JPE website. Uh,
3: oh yes. Yeah.
0: And I Very saw. Very neglected. <laughs> It's a little outdated, that's all right. I think all websites (laughs) are, aren't they? But um, I was looking on that and I saw a picture of the house I built uh, down in in Aprovecho. And and I thought, oh my goodness. So strange that there's a picture of that. And then I read the next page. It's like, oh, there's Angela. Of course, we built that together.
3: Wow. Yeah. So she also, right, like started training in Philadelphia, learned from somebody who was in the the heritage side of things and um, got that exposure before getting the natural building exposure. And and then she was able to see where those two can work so beautifully together. And she also, like when she found out that there was such a thing as Japanese plastering, and then I think it all kind of like came together in this really beautiful like constellation where, as she was dreaming about how can I get training in Japan, I was looking for people to come to Japan with me um, because it's not something that you do alone. And like, I had real difficulty with that when I came back in 2008 um, and was, you know, wanting to, to do work. Like I was in Colorado and California various job sites where um, people would like you know get paid by the hour and I would be told don't clean the bucket by the owner of the project like, I'm paying you by the hour don't clean the bucket I'm like I can't work for you <laughs> I am not I am not going to ruin my hands ruin the tools you know because buckets if you leave them out with mud on them, the sun bakes them, they crack, they're gone. Like what kind of, what kind of savior of the earth are you? <laughs> I get, I get really righteous about it. Cause there's just that aspect, but then there's a the safety aspect. Um, you know, having that slippery bucket is, is not conducive to an easy working environment. And every single step you take is in order to make the next step easier. So, and that's, that's true with all the things, like materials you're working with, all the tools that you're using with those materials and the wall itself in the process of of creating that wall. So, um, yeah, I I gave up, actually. I I had too many experiences on job sites where I was like this. I can't. Like, I, I can't do what you're asking me because that really kind of denigrates the experience that I was taught from my master and I I want to that that's my my strongest bond right there and, and I'm not gonna do anything to disrespect that. So um the, yeah, these I, were I,
0: the I, sort of natural I, building sites.
3: These were natural building sites, yeah. All right. Yeah. And people with very good intentions, you know, like their their final their final vision was something very beautiful. And what they, where we didn't match was that in my training, I had learned that, you know, you're only going to get as good as a wall as your core is. And if you want me to skip steps at the core, I can't guarantee you beauty at the surface. And, and also I need a safe, worksite. I need a place where I can um, honor my training and, you know, washing buckets is like step 1. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even go to step 2 if I don't know how to wash a bucket. You don't want me to do that. Like I can't <laughs> we we cannot hang. So so I did it and that's why like when in 2012, like you didn't see me do a lot because I hadn't been in the realm, but I had written that book, and because of that, um, it was like self-published on Amazon, and all you had to do was was click a little box that said, please sell on Amazon, and it was totally hands-off. I did nothing, but between the time I published and probably around that year, I'd already gotten emails from around the world, like 20 different countries, and I was like, wow, people love this stuff as much as I do. That's so cool. You know, they're asking me questions and I'm like, I need to go back. Like I, I did not finish my training. And it was really like, ah, because um, I had people be like, oh, this is Emily. Yeah, she's a Japanese plaster master. And I am like, oh my God, you have no idea what you're talking about. Like I am so not, like I was there for a year. I'm a baby. I'm such a baby. And... Yeah. So but seeing all the interest, I was like, wow, I, I need to go back. And plus for my own satisfaction, um, I didn't, I didn't, I, I knew that I didn't know anything. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah I could write about it. I could, I could show you pictures and say what's going on, but I couldn't really do it, especially not efficiently. Um, I, I never trained up that much. So coming back was really, really important. And also, eye opening because it wasn't until about a year being back that I realized like that, that span of being gone. There's like an eight year span in between where I still use my tools. You know, I still every now and then I would join a project. Um, but wow, the habits that I had developed it, after a year of being back in Japan, I was like, oh, this is how you hold a trowel and there was like this magic phenomenal subtle shift in the way that i was holding that changed everything about the ease of my plastering during the day my progress from that moment um yeah it's it's, it's a very humbling craft
0: <laughs> it definitely is i feel like there's always just so much to to learn yeah and how far i don't, i don't know if you can answer this question but how, how sort of far down your, your journey do you think you are? If you, you know, you've got the, the never plastered yeah. and then the, the, the master plasterer. Uh, mm. you know. mm.
3: I would, I would like, okay. So if I'm really, really honest, I'm definitely past the halfway point. Nice. How much past the halfway point? Uh, I'm never making it to the end, I'll tell you that. I don't know that anybody does. Um, is that like particularly... enlightenment,
0: isn't it? It's uh <laughs>
3: <laughs> It is. It is. It totally is. Um God, why can I not bring this man's name to my mind? I need to go back to work. I'm in quarantine <laughs> right now, so I haven't been I haven't been at my at my company for six months. And I, I had his name in my mind earlier. It'll come to me. But um you know, I'll ask him questions and he'll be like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> you know, like, how do you not know? You've been doing this for 60 years. How do you not know? Like his his work history, like, because sometimes we have to go on these like fancy job sites and they require that you write like how many years you've been in the industry. And he's like over half a century. <laughs> um, and he doesn't know, like this is some some question that I would imagine he must know the answer to um and I don't know if it's because he's just extremely humble and and that was kind of like the audacity behind writing that book that first one Japan's clay walls um you won't find a book like that in Japan because it's audacious to say you know anything about anything
0: right okay
3: and everybody does some. The, everybody does it different. That's so why, like I, uh, in the introduction bit, I think I wrote something like, "You know, this is not how you do Japanese plastering. <laughs> this is what I saw." You know. Yeah. Um, and everyone's going to do it differently, even in the same shop in the same company. You'll have people who do it differently. That's really fun because, you know, whoever's the eldest. And whoever's been in the company the longest, they're the ones that run the job site. But if you go to that same job site with somebody who's a little bit lower on the rank than that other person, then you have to do it that person's way. So you have to learn everybody's different subtle differences and follow their lead every time. Not not the main guy. Like it's it's whoever's like boss for that day. And that's really fun because you see, like, oh, this person likes less straw or this person likes more sand or this person likes it wetter or, you know, this person needs, you know, needs a little bit different timing with this processor. Yeah. It, it's, um, it's a little, you learn a lot, you learn a lot.
1: Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank.
0: and welcome back uh i hope you have enjoyed that chat having thought about it a little more i think the ridge up the back of a trowel is called the tang not the keel i but i'm not sure again so who knows uh i also remembered that uh a story when i was working in utah uh bill and athena steen came to teach the the final finish coat plasters, and the story was that Bill Steen went through the the Japanese trowel box uh and quite uh casually sort of tossed away the um the trowels that were all bent, uh discarding them. Uh and I think the the people that were watching on who, who loved those those thin, stainless trowels were, were quite mortified. But yeah, that story came to my head when I was listening uh listening back to that um yeah that's it we're gonna roll straight into episode two i hope you stay with us episode two has a lot about posture fermentation fermentation is a big topic trowel technique we talk about earth floors of course we talk about earth floors i won't shut up about them uh and a bit about lime plaster um oh and there's some guest questions so will stanix uh who was on the last podcast he really sort of put me onto Emily Reynolds. So when I knew she was coming on as a guest, uh, I asked him what questions he wanted to ask. Uh, and so there's a few of those. And if this is your first episode, then remember to subscribe so that you don't miss any more of these wonderful podcasts. And if you have already subscribed, then why don't you tell your friends? then more people can know about it and hopefully we'll all get some more collective knowledge and then save the world. Because I think that's what's needed. Great. I'm clearly very tired. (laughs) We laid floor for 12 hours yesterday. Uh, I should say it was 12 hours of grinning and loving it, but uh, it does mean that uh, I'm
1: quite tired. I'm rambling, aren't I? Okay. See you next episode. Bye.